Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Right now, though, Michael Edwards joins us, the president and CEO of the Chicago Loop Alliance. The numbers for the last quarter of last year are out. How busy was the downtown? Mike, welcome back. You're on WGN. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate it uh, being here and uh, talking with your listeners. Uh, The Loop was very busy in the fourth quarter with over $394 million of economic impact, largely from the wonderful 1.3 million uh, people who came down to enjoy theater and museums in all of our arts and culture, and, of course, all of the holiday festivities. Yeah, well, there was a lot of that. Um, you know, the age-old question these days is, okay, how does that compare to 2019 or 2020 then? Uh, so we are up uh, 40% from the fourth quarter of 2022. So people are coming back, and uh, they're finding reasons to come back. And I think our businesses and our our uh, venue uh, providers are, you know, doing an excellent job of putting the kind of shows and, and, and uh the things that people want to come down and see and think's worth their time to make the trip downtown. Yeah. So year over year, up 40%. And I don't know what the new normal is supposed to be. Maybe it's not supposed to be 2019 or 2020. Are we at pre-pandemic levels at all? Um, you know, for arts and culture, I think we are, you know, getting close. If we're not there, we're very close. Some of our other indicators, like pedestrian counts, and office and um, and retail are still uh, you know trending below the 2019 levels. Although occasionally we hit the 2019 pre-pandemic levels. Uh, remind me how you uh, monitor. How do you guesstimate or know how many pedestrians traveled about downtown Chicago? Right. So we have. So we, it's not all of downtown Chicago. It's uh, we have counters up and down State Street that are at the precipice of, of a number of intersections uh, on State Street between Wacker and uh, Ida B. Wells. And so we have very accurate counts of the movements of people north and south, east and west at those intersections. And that's where we get our counts from. Is it like a camera? Does it notice when somebody breaks a beam or something? Uh, If they're not cameras, they are what they call counters. And so if you were in that uh, if you were in that counter, what you would see is uh, the shape of four individuals walking together. The, The counter puts a box around it, counts those and then and then that image is disappears. And so they're just constantly counting people moving back and forth on the street. It's what we call a gated count. So the, the number is a little less important than the trend. And so we've had them up there since 2015. So we got a really good idea where we're tracking compared to past years. And one more time, then, how are we for pedestrian traffic in that area? Uh, so we, uh, well, there was over 67 million pedestrians up and down State Street. Some people, are, of course, counted a couple of times, but... Uh, that is, um, you know, pretty close to where we were in 2019. And then uh, we did have a week in, uh, in, in November when people were starting to, to purchase for the holidays. And we were actually surpassed our 2019 level with 1.3 million impressions or, or pedestrians on the street uh, that week of November 13th. So just pre, you know, pre-Thanksgiving wonder how much of the fourth quarter is dependent on the weather, though. Um, and if you got good weather, you get more folks downtown. I remember last Christmas, didn't they cancel the Chris Kindle market one or two days because it was so doggone cold? Oh, did they? Yeah. Well, the Chris Kindle market itself, I mean, it drives a lot of action in the loop. And, of course, there's so many festivities with the tree lighting. And all, we, we, we increased the amount of holiday decorations we have on State Street. I hope your listeners noticed. 
um, just to make the whole thing a much more festive and uh, wonderful experience. And, of course, we've got great stores still on uh, State Street with Macy's and others. What do you know about office occupancy? Well, office occupancy continues to uh, struggle. Um, we're better than most across the country. We're at 55, between 55 and 60%, which is up from last year where it was like 51 to 55%. So not a lot uh, of more human occupancy, but there's certainly a lot of energy downtown. I'm sure your listeners have been on the trains or it, 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 you know, uh, were affected by the traffic listening to your great radio station, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, I <laughs> and, took, uh, yeah, go ahead. Keep you know, talking. And, and I, you know, I think everybody's noticing an increased volume of people getting downtown. Uh, work from home is, has changed behavior, and so we, we, we need to do a better job of giving people reasons to come downtown, and so do property owners and office owners. I took the Brown Line in today from um, northwest side, and uh, I had to stand. You know, I feel good mm-hmm. when I can't get a seat at 6.30 in the morning on the train, so <laughs> yeah, that's you a good sign. Yeah. Uh, a one last thing. thing. In, do you have numbers about retail? I think you've mentioned that, but just tell me what else yeah. I should know about retail sales yeah. in the city. So so retail sales um, uh, along the loop, you know, reported from our retailers and compared to national numbers, 3 to 4% um, increase in uh, holiday sales. We tracked along that same uh, number. And, uh, you know, we're pretty um, – and, and the, the selection of merchandise we have – on the street really fit what people were looking for, which was relatively lower cost, not high, you know, not high value kinds of merchandise in order for their gift giving. So we kind of state street aligned very well with what shoppers were looking for this particular Christmas. So we're happy. Is that it? The Chicago loop Alliance, the the numbers we're talking about pedestrians and sales on retail. We're talking about state street principally here. Yeah. Yeah. Principally state street with regards to retail sales. That is our, that is our high street. Michael Edwards is the president and CEO of Chicago Loop Alliance. You can see the report at loopchicago.com. Thank you, Michael. Let's uh, visit again in a Thank few you. months. That'd be great. Thanks so much, John. Right along the river. And man, is it foggy outside downtown Chicago right now. Your ring camera won't pick up much. Speaking of which, here's Bree Fowler, the senior writer at CNET. Bree, what's the deal with ring and the police? Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, Ring is now saying that they're not going to allow police departments to request doorbell footage from users. Uh, and that brings to an end to a feature that, you know, has police have used quite a bit, but at, at privacy advocates have had some serious concerns about for years. What's that? Well, I mean, there there really were no checks on when police could request the footage, and it was totally up to Amazon, which owns Ring, to determine when it was going to release it. And it's important to, to remember here that um, the police can still get access to Ring footage if they have a warrant. Um, that, that hasn't changed. It's just that, you know, they have to actually go through the steps of getting a judge to sign off on that request. Well, was Ring willy-nilly releasing more video previously than consumers wanted? Uh, that that's what a lot of privacy advocates would say. Um, you really don't know. Um, there, there were, you know, they would release statistics and reports and things on what they were releasing it for, but you know, they they don't have to really say or even let consumers know that their footage is being released. Uh, and you know, that kept a lot of people, I think, from buying one of these systems. I suppose so, but I have to tell you, I. 
I don't know why people wouldn't cooperate with the police. You got a camera for security purposes. Presumably, if the police wanted, it's to make the neighborhood more safe and secure. Yeah, but, you know, there needs to be checks on that kind of power as well and and those kinds of requests. People don't want to feel like they're living in a surveillance state. Uh And, you know, if if there's no... Well, that's uh, a funny thing to say when you're buying a surveillance camera. It would seem to me like if you don't want it, then don't buy it. What what are you going to do with that video? I guess you'll have it for your own purposes. You'll see if your neighbor stole your package or who did, but... I, I, to me, it's an ideal relationship between that product, that company, and the police. What, what am I? Well, well, there, there are systems out there that aren't connected to the cloud, where the footage is, you know, gathered by you on a server or on a computer in your house, and you can take that footage and give it to the cops if you want. But that, you know, it puts that on you to do that. It's your choice. Um, you know, maybe maybe your neighbor is complaining to the police about you and they want access to footage uh, to maybe see if maybe your dog is, you know, messing with their lawn or, or something like that. Um, it, it, there's just a lot of privacy issues there that a lot of people just wouldn't really wouldn't want to deal with, I think. So Amazon uh, Ring will stop allowing police departments to request doorbell camera footage. I suppose I could flat out volunteer it to the cops if I wanted, though, right? Sure. And and police can get a warrant for that, too, if, if they think that there is evidence of a crime there. But, you know, it, it's just an extra step that they have to go for. And, and you basically, you know, they need a good reason to get it now. And Amazon, too, says that in limited circumstances, they may hand it over anyway. Tesla's earnings are what? They're going to have a bad year or a bad quarter here? Well, they're saying that uh, this year may have slower sales than last year. Um, their profit more than doubled last quarter, but um, that was, you know, partially due to a big tax benefit that they had. And they are warning that sales will slow this year. Last year, if you remember, they cut their prices quite a bit, um, sometimes $20,000 a vehicle, just to kind of get that volume going to get, get those cars out the door. This year, they're not going to be doing that so much. And they're honestly between uh, models, too. You know, they're switching over to, to new models that are going to be coming out in 2025. So um, naturally, sales would dip a bit. Didn't Elon Musk say something a week or two ago that he wants to have more control of his company? And what does he own? About 18% of Tesla? I thought he would own more than that. And he wants <laughs> to control the direction of the company more. Am I rec- recalling something correctly? Yeah, I, I think there was something to that effect. And yeah, he, he does not own the majority of the company. But, you know, unlike his other a lot of his other companies, this is a publicly traded company. You can buy shares in Tesla. You can own a piece of it, too. So, you know, the, the dynamics are a bit different for Tesla than they are for, for something like Twitter or X, as they call it now. You all have a story that eBay has laid a bunch of people off. I didn't know eBay was still in business. It's It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't come up like it used to. What's the story here? Yeah, eBay definitely kind of feels like a relic of the early Internet. Um, but, you know, it's still there. People still, you know, do their online garage sales, get rid of things. People make money from being eBay sellers. But, you know, they're just not uh, seeing the volumes that they used to and, you know, when the economy slows, so do so does any kind of retail, and they are no exception. 
Um, they're also part of the tech industry, and the tech industry has been laying off lots of people lately. Um, you know, companies like Google, Amazon, TikTok, Spotify, Microsoft, and and Meta have all uh, shrunk their workforces. I'm um, I understand that, but what what is that indicative of? Because it would seem to me like all of those businesses are in the right space. Well, there's a couple things going on here. You've got a slowing economy and rising interest rates, which, you know, make everything more expensive, make it more expensive to borrow money. And also, a lot of these online businesses, especially you think about eBay who sells stuff, they they were doing gangbusters during the pandemic. People were just buying stuff online. Uh. Uh, and so during the pandemic, they they just hired a ton of people. And, you know, especially companies like Amazon, you know, um, they have all these sales. They need the people to, to get stuff out the door. But, you know, as things have gotten back to, you know, quote unquote normal, people aren't spending like they were. And, you know, people are also dealing with inflation, higher interest rates, slowing job markets in some areas, and they're just not buying like they used to. And when you have all that together, you just you can't afford to have as many people around. What if that's a pendulum, though, because the economy is doing well and with the exception of um, inflation, which some people would like to see a little bit lower than it is. In fact, there's a lot of things to be optimistic about the overall economy right now. Oh, sure. And unemployment uh, jobs figures have been really good lately. I think inflation is one of those things, you know, especially with it being a political year. Um, it is on the, the top of everyone's mind. You go to the grocery store and the bag of flour I always buy is a dollar or two more expensive than it used to be. Inflation hits people in the pocketbook and they're, you know, it makes you think twice before you buy stuff. I sure wish I knew what would be the, what it would have been like if we hadn't had the supply chain disruptions and the massive infusion of money into the economy during the pandemic, because people have noticed that things cost more now. That's because things cost more now. That's what always <laughs> That's what happens as time, you know, a loaf of bread costs more now than it did in 1922 as well. Um, although actually relative to overall um, household income, maybe not. But I wonder what <laughs> the number could or should be. This is an economics question, not a tech question. But you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I keep hearing that people um, are upset about inflation when, in fact, inflation is almost where the Fed wants it to be. Yeah. I mean, it's taken a while to get there, but... You know, in the meantime, it, it does kind of burn consumers in very, very noticeable ways. I mean, I bought a house uh, in over the summer, and my interest rate was way higher than it would have been a year ago. And that hits me in the pocketbook. And every time I, you know, shop for groceries, I definitely notice that things are more expensive. Um, you know, I don't I don't think my income has really gone up in the last couple of years. But, you know, other other people in higher demand professions, they, they probably are offsetting that. The thing is that even when people have money, when they're forced to spend more of it on stuff that is non-discretionary, they, they notice and they're not happy about it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I think that's well put. Are you going to refi, Bree? Uh, yeah, eventually. Hopefully the interest rates will start coming down and uh, we can um, shed some of that monthly payment. <laughs> Amen. Bree Fowler is a senior writer at CNET. You can read her writing and the rest of them at CNET.com. Thank you, Bree. Thanks a lot.
Tom Fortino is in our studio, the founder and principal at the Alpha Wealth Group. You can find his stuff at alphawealthgroup.com. You also hear him Sunday mornings on WGN Radio at 7, talking about the economy and your economy. Hi, Tom. Well, hello. Good to be here. Um, Markets are up. They are, again. Yeah, is that a good thing? (laughs) It's always a good thing. I mean, what are you going to say? Well, but off the air, didn't you say something like we were talking about people are spending money, and is that good or is that bad? What's the answer to that? Well, I mean, it's good... For the economy, we talk about retail sales that come out. We, we've, those numbers have been doing pretty well. But you know, on the flip side of that is where is that spending coming from, whether it's government spending or if it's retail spending, which is credit card debt, which is, you know, exceeded $1.1 trillion. Those are, you know, those are concerns. And does it happen that if people are spending more money, doesn't that keep inflation? It's harder to bring inflation down if more and more people are spending more and more money, right? Well, yeah, there's that balance, right, of course. You know, is, is, is there too much... It's the old adage we hear it time and time again: too much money spending or chasing too few goods. So um, that hasn't kind of gotten out of whack yet. There's concern that inflation may rear its head again. We haven't seen that, but you know, you look at the housing market, for example. That's look at the distortions there. That's an interesting. What's you know, the distortion in the housing market? Well, you've got inventories that are at all-time lows. Maybe a couple months of inventory. You're looking at still the median price of housing is high. I mean, the supply is, yeah, we all know that, what's going on with the supply. Obviously, mortgage rates, all of these things that are going on. And if you saw last week, um, existing home sales were at like a 30-year low. So it's just it's just an odd, odd situation with this housing market. It's it just, is, it's but just odd. it is where it is. I mean, so yeah. there's two things that are problematic, the inventory and the interest rates. The interest rates are going to come down this year. We hope, yeah. <laughs> you want to bet a nickel on that? I mean, why why do you even hesitate? No, on no. It? It, well, you would think they would come down. Yes, from you mean as far as more? Yes, they may come down some. Oh, yes. it's just well, I don't know if my credit card <clears throat> number is going to go down, but I mean, uh, borrowing will cost less in twenty twenty four, right? The the probability of that, yes, it's a higher probability that will happen. You don't think the Fed's going to lower rates three or more times? Well, we've had this discussion before, John, and I know you've had this discussion. You said with others. Um, if the Fed does make moves on the on the interest rates, that could be the fact because the economy is slowing down and they're doing it out of the fact that we're going into a recession. Um, you know, again, there's all this balance with the Fed. The economy is not slowing down, though, right? It has not yet. No, no. GDP just came out, as we know, today. It was uh, it beat estimates. It was three point two. It's probably going to be over two percent for the year. So if you're looking at that as a measurement, yes, the economy is not has not started to slow down. You can tell I'm more bullish than you standing here right now. Why, why is that? Well, I mean, you just want to take, there's just some headwinds. I mean, you just always want to be aware of these things. Um, the fact that, as I said, debt is certainly an issue. Uh, you know, besides credit card debt, government debt, you can't just ignore that. I, do, and I think it's oh, kind of like we oh, are. but I can. <laughs> we do. I, I must tell you that is um, optimistic as I like to be because I'd rather think things are going to go well than they're yes. going to That's go poorly. Good. And I don't manage other people's millions of dollars. So I maybe have the luxury of that. You perhaps are either dispositionally or occupationally more cautious. You have to be. Mm-hmm. But the debt thing to me is getting ignored. The, mm-hmm. f- the federal debt, it the is. federal deficit, and student loans and credit card debt. Well, there's also commercial debt that some of these things are turning over, starting to turn over, right? I mean, I think they came out, they saw the recent numbers, almost 600, 
uh, billion in commercial debt. And so we're starting to see some of those things hit too. So we just, I think there's going to be a little bit of a lag time here. Again, we may come through this, right? But, you know, we're looking at, you know, we can use government debt at 34 trillion. You know, you're approaching a trillion dollars a year just to service that debt. You know, and some of this other debt that's going to roll over, you know, those things could be an issue. Could well, be. What do you say about the markets? The S&P, um, I think, hit another high all time it did. This, this week. It did. I mean, right now, again, things are positive from the standpoint. I mean, you could argue valuations are getting a little heady. I think the forward P on the S&P is approaching 20. That is high. What does that mean? Well, the price to earnings, right? So what are we paying for earnings? I mean, you could look at NVIDIA, which is one stock. Their PE is 80, right? <laughs> but that's just one stock in the S&P. And you fit, you, 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 the sense is the growth is going to make up for that. So I'm willing to pay a premium for that stock. So the question is, is the market at a premium right now? Am I paying too much for the overall market? Well, talk about the other 497 equities on the S&P right. or, or, or in the market generally. Right. Uh, because the the, uh, the, the fabulous seven, magnificent seven, seven. Yes. are those in the S and P or are they, they are yeah yeah okay. seven out of five hundred so the other four ninety three okay so how is the rest of the market doing well I mean if you look at last year they they think those seven were up seventy five percent the rest of the market was up twelve right on the rest of those four ninety three so certainly they've lagged and lagged considerably now the S and P was over you know, was up 25% last year. And you can use the adage, you know, as the average investor, I would say we have to be careful. You know, most investors are going to own an index, right? You have to be careful from the risk standpoint. And so it's the old adage from um, um, Vogel, John Vogel, head of Vanguard, who said, you know, instead of the needle in the haystack, buy the haystack. And so that's what the average investor typically should do, whether it's a sector versus owning one stock or a index versus, a, you know, uh, owning the whole market is typically the way to go. Real good idea would have been to b get into an index fund in March, April of <laughs> 2020 uh, because things were but, just yes. down so much then. You picked that day, right? It was when the market dropped 30% over a month. It was February like to, to March. I, yeah. I would like to go back to the tape and see what we were thinking, saying, and feeling then. I mean, boy, this yes, because it's, right yeah, now we are... We are on the perch of hindsight. Yep. But I, I, I want to believe that we knew how anomalous the pandemic was and that in three or four years, we would not only make it back, but we would be yeah. ahead of ourselves. Well, that's a great point because it's this history. For Go beyond the pandemic. You go to 2008. You can go back to the 2000, the tech bubble. You can keep going. I mean, we can go through history and say, does the market, you know, we ask the, we pose those questions. Does the market you know, when it drops, does it come back? Yes. When it comes back, does it go higher? Yes. So, you know, that's when we talk about emotions, and we've talked about it before. It can be our own worst enemy. They say, you know, that's when it, it, then you want to put money in the market. When it's down 20 30%, who has, you know, that takes a lot of guts. Did your clients want you to sell their positions in 09 and, and four years ago? For the most part, no. No, and I wouldn't have suggested it, you know. Three years ago, yeah. No. Mm -mm. I mean, uh, because it just kept going down and down yeah. and down. Uh, we were that's talking an about opportunity. This. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, it sure is. Easy to say, but it was. Well, especially as we sit here now, all fat and saucy. We're talking to Tom Fortino, the founder and principal at the Alpha Wealth Group. Um, I want to know if Tom has any turn-of-the-year advice for us, and what else does he say about your investments? 
He hosts This Week in Wealth on WGN Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. We've got more business news right now. Here is Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Clean technology company Matik is moving into Fulton Labs. The company, launched from the International Institute for Nanotechnology at Northwestern University, employs about 20 people. It's doubled in size over the last year and has plans to double again over the next 12 to 24 months. Cranes reports Matik has leased 17,000 square feet of space at 400 North Aberdeen, where the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub and Life Sciences Incubator is located. The company is developing and commercializing alternatives to iridium, a rare and costly element critical to clean hydrogen production. Chicago-based United Airlines will provide nonstop service from O'Hare to Athens, Greece, starting later this year. The daily service will run from May 12th to August 12th. United says it will now have nonstop service from Chicago to 15 European cities, including Amsterdam, Brussels, Edinburgh, Frankfurt, Reykjavik, Munich, Milan, Shannon, and Zurich. United will also start nonstop service to Winnipeg and Quebec City in May. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Thank you, sir. Now it's time for the business of food and Steve Alexander. Yeah, thank you. And one of my favorite shows on Apple TV is Shrinking. Right. How does that make you feel? Well, pretty good. I like the show. But this is not about that kind of shrinking. Since 1981, we've lost 437,300 farms. How many? 437,300 farms. That's Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, and he has more bad news about the shrinking American farmer after I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us. There has never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, here's Ag Secretary Vilsack speaking at the Farm Bureau Convention in Salt Lake City this week. The loss of 437,300 farms. To give you a sense of how many farmers that is, that's every farmer today in North Dakota and South Dakota, in Wisconsin and Minnesota, in Iowa and Illinois, Nebraska and Colorado. Wow. And that's not all. At the same time, since 1981, we've lost 141 million acres of farm land. Land that was once in farming that is in farming today. That's the landmass of Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Maryland. That's a lot of acres no longer producing food. And I don't think the country can stand a continued acceleration of the loss of small and mid-sized farming operations. Vilsack says one of the many things the USDA is doing to try to slow down the attrition is helping farmers fight climate change, which has brought more severe weather more often. And so it's important for us to continue to focus on risk management, on crop insurance. Thirty years ago, only a handful of crops were covered by crop insurance, the big ones. Today, 134 crops are covered. And within those... 604 varieties are covered. $207 billion in production is protected through this mechanism. Now, farmers do pay for crop insurance, and if they're wiped out and they collect, it's less than what they would have gotten had their crop been sold at market value. And last year, $12 billion in insurance claims were paid out. On the food calendar, today's National Irish Coffee Day. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Tom Fortino will be on the air Sunday morning. What's the... um topic of most interest to your listeners or your 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 clients uh, in the world of personal finance? Well, certainly taxes are always an issue because, hey, if we can save money and keep more money in our pocket, you know, that's something that most people want to hear about, yeah. you know, creating income in retirement and those types of things. 
we were talking to Terry Savage about Roth IRAs versus mm-hmm. traditional IRAs, and I said, "Well, is the is the the, the game with Roth IRAs, IRAs that you've got to f- guess what you think the tax rate is going to be in the future?" <laughs> it, but maybe that's too simple. How do you how do you decide if or how much money you should put in a Roth? Well, you know, I believe in just like we have investment diversification, we can talk about tax diversification. I think more we see more people have are in tax deferred. So in most cases, I think a Roth is an opportunity. Look, we we can't, you know, guess what tax rate. We don't know what they're going to be in the but future. But with a Roth, you're paying the tax now. Right. It's pay on the seed, not on the harvest kind of concept. But the point is, too, when you put money into a Roth, I always pose the question, Look, you can put money into a Roth or an IRA, and if someone says, "Which one should I put it in?" Would you ask me? I said, "Well, let me let me ask you a question. You can, if you're in a 22% marginal tax bracket, okay, you you cannot pay that tax today. Put it in an IRA. You'll pay tax on the contribution. You'll pay tax on the growth. It'll be used to figure out how much of your Social Security is taxable, and it, you'll have required minimum distributions, and your spouse and children will pay tax on it." Or you can pay the tax today. You won't pay tax on the the contribution. You'll never pay tax on any of the growth. doesn't matter if tax rates go up. There's no required distributions. It doesn't tax your Social Security and goes to your spouse and children tax-free. Which right. one would you do? So Right. So where I was imagining it was about what the future tax rates are going to be. Um, and I might guess that they might be lower in the mm-hmm. future. So then I'd say, well, I'd rather pay the tax then. But maybe it's more about the growth and in income that I'm going to realize in that investment, in that Roth. Yeah, because all of it is tax-free. The tax rate on it is always zero. So you have minimized the threat to increasing tax rates in your retirement. In addition to that, taxes can impact how much of your Social Security is taxable, your Medicare premiums, and then you get to a point where required distributions, you got to take money out whether you want to or not and pay the tax on it. Is there a maximum amount you can put in a Roth IRA? Same as traditional. It's $8,000 per person per year if you are 50 or over, $7,000 under 50. And by the way, we're in this window. You have until April 15th to do last year. So you can actually do two years of contributions now. Is there anybody that shouldn't do a Roth IRA? What would the circumstance be? Boy, I'm hard pressed <laughs> to ever tell somebody. Okay, you but be. then for those, but I imagine many I'm of our listeners are fortunate enough to hopefully to have an IRA or be eligible mm-hmm. to, you know, have the resources to do that. But then we, more or less, you're saying everybody should first max out a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA. I'm a fan because, look, if you have, like, a lot of times people have a 401k at work, okay, you can still do a Roth IRA even if you have a 401k. You can still do a Roth IRA if you're not working, if your spouse is, and you can do it at any age. So I'm just a fan of trying to take advantage of the Roth IRAs, getting more tax-free. Those aren't different things, though, are they? That is a Roth and an IRA that's not a Roth. Um, I can't do 8000 of each, right? Correct. You're right. You're max, you could do 4000 in a traditional, 4000 in a Roth. You can split the difference. So maybe that's kind of a happy medium, right? Uh, more <laughs> maybe an unhappy medium. And then would that be true for your spouse as well? Is it 16000 for our, maybe a filing jointly? Yeah, so you could do eight. Your spouse could do eight. That's 16000 total. Can you do one for your kids? Well, if they have earned income. I had someone, a client email me the other day. Said my, he said, my daughter wants, I want to start a Roth. I want to contribute. I said, does she have earned income? He said, she does. You can do a contribution. That wouldn't count as a gift to that kid, though. You can't give It doesn't them. matter. Um, you can gift up to $18,000 a year to someone. And know. then they can put that? This they sounds can like, put it, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. You right. can fund it, you know, just so they have income. Um, is there a hot topic that you're going to try and hit this Sunday? Are you going to talk more about the markets and how the economy is doing? Well, we, of course, try to cover a number of topics that impact your retirement. So we will be talking about the market. We'll be talking about taxes, and we'll be talking about 
creating income that you know lasts a lifetime. That's the these thing. are good things. Well, uh, we have to go now, but yep. I, I, I always remind you when I talk to you that it's not the pile of money, but it's the Correct. distribution of the money. How is that going to generate income, not just be eliminated bit by bit, but can it actually throw off income? Can you preserve the capital? Right, right. That's not, it's more about creating income. We have to discern between you have a pot of money that's technically not a guaranteed income, social security, pensions. Those are incomes that come in for the rest of your life. And so that's an income. That's Tom Fortino, and uh, you can hear him Sunday mornings on WGN Radio. He's the principal at the Alpha Wealth Group, alphawealthgroup.com. I'll talk to you more after the All show right, today, Tom, Good and we'll to listen for you on Sunday. All right. Take care, John.